I was like, okay, what can I do? And in particular, how can I spend my time? How can I engage in the time that I'm spending so that I can choose to be happier? And like, again, going back to the title, it's not like happy or unhappy. It is what can we do to feel better in our lives and about our lives than we would have otherwise. And we do have agency. We do have choice. And that is what sort of propelled me on my research to figure out how do we do happy? How do we choose happy? That's what I've been doing since. There's a saying, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, it's also the mother of mommy makeup. After being a professional makeup artist for over 20 years, Deborah Rubin Roberts had the privilege to work for and with some of the best brands and talent in the beauty industry. But it was after becoming a mom that was the catalyst for Deborah to develop her own makeup line, Mommy Makeup, clean beauty for busy women. She figured if she needed clean cosmetics that were fast and easy to use and gave makeup artist quality results, surely other women did too. The makeup is multitasking, so it saves time, money, and clutter. Talc-free, so not drying. Paraben-free, which won't upset your hormones. Cruelty-free, so no animal testing and certified with PETA's Beauty Without Bunnies program. Non-comedogenic, won't clog pores. Allergy-tested to help prevent a reaction. And made in the USA, so you know that the ingredients are local and support our nation's economy. When you log on to the website, mommymakeup.com, click on free color consultation. Simply upload a no makeup selfie and the team will send you back a comprehensive email advising which products and colors best suit your skin tone. It takes the guesswork and swatching out of the process. I especially love the tinted brow gel in Warm Brunette, which has natural fibers to add fullness to my brows and the Triple Sticks lipstick in Tess a beautiful berry hue, which I also put on my cheeks for a natural hint of color. Everything Mommy Makeup does will save you time and money, yet will still make you feel and look your best. Log on to mommymakeup.com and take your free consult to get started. Use my code MOMSENSE, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E, for 20% off your first order. Have fun and feel good about makeup again. Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons and legacy. We are shaping society by raising our children to be the change makers of tomorrow. Quite frankly, parenting is the biggest responsibility and privilege on earth. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was... Fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Be sure to check out my other monthly series, What Matters Most with Maple, featuring my co-host Michael Perry, and hashtag Girl Dad Talk with Kimberly Wolf. Thank you to my distinguished guests, brand partners, community, and you for making this podcast possible. Episodes release every Thursday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and following me on Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. Now let's dive into today's episode. 
When I was in my teens, I remember watching a biopic on famed Indian mathematician from the early 1900s, Ramanujan. He was often saying, there's so much to do, yet so little time. He'd work for 30 hours at a stretch and then sleep for 20. He discovered nearly 4,000 equations and formulas and died at the prime age of 32. Why do I bring him up? because he wanted more time to achieve his goals in life, which gave him a sense of fulfillment and happiness, as many of us do. But consider this, why are the happiest people on earth, either babies and kids or the elderly enjoying their sunset years? It doesn't have to be that way. And my guest today, Professor Cassie Holmes, PhD, is extremely knowledgeable on the subject. She's going to enlighten us about her research backed by case studies and science on how to be truly happy, feel content with the time we have, and will even provide strategies that we can apply to lead a purposeful, meaningful life. Dr. Cassie Mogilner-Holmes is a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Trained as a social psychologist, she earned her PhD at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and her BA at Columbia. An award-winning teacher and researcher on the role of time in cultivating happiness and satisfaction in life, Holmes's work has been widely published in lead academic journals and featured in outlets like NPR, The Economist, The Atlantic, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post. Happier Hour is her first book. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Rob, and their children, Leo and Lita. And now on to our interview. Cassie, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Me too. Me too. I'd like to give a shout out to Sarah Harden, who made this happen. So hi, Sarah. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I wanted to open our discussion with Ramanujan because he was such a rare breed and, and a born genius. He never had any formal training in math, but went on to discover uh, the most groundbreaking findings in the field. The one thing was that he was obsessed with not having enough time. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, especially those who are overachievers. How would you, you know, recommend we, we deal with those sentiments? It's an issue because it's so prevalent. So this feeling of having too much to do and too little time um, is what I refer to in my research as time poverty. Um, and even if you haven't heard that term, I'm sure so many can relate to it. I mean, we conducted a national poll that showed that nearly half of Americans feel time poor. They feel like they don't have enough time to do what they set out to do. That's a lot. And, and, and yes, we find that moms tend to feel more time poor than dads and working parents, particularly folks whose partner is also working, tend to feel particularly impoverished. But in our data, we find that all types of people, even those who are not working for pay, as well as those who don't have kids, sort of suffer from this hectic phase of life with too little time. The research shows that when we feel time poor, it makes us less healthy. So we are less likely to go to exercise. I mean, I'm sure so many can relate to like, that's often an excuse is like, why am I not exercising? Because I don't have time. It makes us delay going to the doctor. I can personally say that I injured 
my wrist in October and I still haven't gone to the doctor because I feel like I don't have enough time. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us less nice too. When we're in a hurry, we're less likely to slow down and help others out. It makes us less confident in being able to achieve what we set out to do. And it makes us less happy. And it's that that I'm particularly concerned about is our the effect on our emotional well-being of these heightened feelings of stress and overwhelm and unhappiness and dissatisfaction and burnout that comes from feeling like we don't have enough hours in the day to get it all done. Time as it relates to our age, why is it that kids and the elderly are the happiest? Kids, (laughs) because they're not in a rush. They are in the present moment. They are just absorbing and experiencing and not sort of struggling with that burden of responsibility. As we get older, And among older folks, they experience greater happiness from ordinary experiences. And that really comes from recognizing that our time in life is limited, right? Actually, the pandemic has highlighted to all of us just how fragile life is. And when we recognize that our years are finite, what it does is it makes us feel that our time is so precious. And so we found in our research, we looked at the happiness that people experience from ordinary versus extraordinary experiences. Ordinary being those simple moments, like that moment shared with a loved one, you know, at the breakfast table or noticing the sunrise or savoring that delicious cup of coffee or delectable, you know, glass of wine. Versus the extraordinary experiences are, you know, these like once in a lifetime vacations, the getting married, you know, going to an incredible like world famous restaurant. What we see is that extraordinary experiences make everyone sort of happy regardless of age. But it's really as we get older, those ordinary experiences produce greater and greater happiness such that among older people, because of that recognition that time is finite, our time in life is finite, that makes us savor more, but it doesn't require age to have that effect of delighting in and recognizing the joys that are right there in our everyday life. You're so right. And I think that's what's so profound about your book. On a personal note, my mom was recently diagnosed with dementia. And it's been really hard on my sister and I and our whole family. She is inherently happy, is just kind of basking in the joy of all the ordinary things. Like when we just are enjoying a cup of tea with her or holding her hand. It's so important to think like that. And the fact that you wrote this book, you're helping us do that and realize this universal truth earlier on in our life. The purpose isn't to make people think about death. The purpose is to make people make the most of their lives and recognizing that we must, right? Because we don't want to end up with regrets. And I'm sure, you know, with your mom, it's her joy that she's experiencing the moment of holding your hand, but you also recognizing that that this is this is finite and your time with her in fact is. And so leading you to 
savor those moments to, to make sure that you create those moments, despite the busyness of all of our days with the kids and the jobs and the everything else. It's so easy to be like, I'll do that later. I will go visit her later and sort of pushing it off for those important things, making it happen now. So happier hour as a title is brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm super into all things self-help. And so I have other books that I'm sure, you know, they definitely played into your research, Designing Your Life, Find Your Unicorn Space uh, by Brodsky. And I love that this is now also on my shelf. And um, what do you think, you know, readers are going to glean from this book? Uh, as it relates to others and and how they're all very connected, but distinct at the same time. We have agency in our happiness. Um, And also I want to say that when I'm using the term happy, I'm not talking about a sort of fleeting, frivolous, selfish (laughs) pursuit. What I'm talking about is experiencing more joy in our days, as well as satisfaction about our lives. So it is experiencing a sense of positive emotion, as well as a sense of meaning about the days that we're spending in the lives that we're living. So happier is that we have agency, we have control, we have choice in making ourselves happier. And my take on it, and this answers your question of how my book sort of fits into this genre and contributes is that it is about time. It is about how we spend the hours of our days, how not only the activities that we are spending on, but also how, when we are spending them, we engage to make those hours happier than they would be otherwise. Um, So, and notably those hours sum up to our days and then our years and our life overall. So really the goal is figuring out what little choices we can make today to make it so that at the end of the week, we look back and feel a sense of fulfillment. At the end of our lives, we look back and feel satisfaction and not feel regret. And now if you could kind of take it back and regale us with maybe some of the life lessons you learned that have shaped you know, what you're doing today and how you've done so much research around happiness and time and leading a meaningful life. For me, a very shitty thing happened where two weeks before my wedding um, to whom I thought was the love of my life and this wedding that I had spent a year planning and everyone was flying in from around the country and my fiance freaked out. And he called me literally, I was, my car was packed um, with wedding dress with my honeymoon clothes, because I was going down to San Diego, where I'm from two weeks early to get the sort of wedding preparations finalized and get ready. And I'm pulling out and he called and he's like, Hesse, I'm not ready. Like I can't get married. And I was like, heck, dude. I mean, like I'm understating my reaction. So at that moment, sort of my sunny existence shattered, like my sort of future that I had so purpose, you know, so perfectly planned out 
as well as my emotions, this person that I was in love with and wanting to spend the rest of my life with, I have like we and also this wedding that I had to sort of deconstruct in two weeks and let everyone know not to show up. It was absolutely devastating. And I did get depressed for a while. And I was like, you know, as someone who is naturally so happy, I was like, well, I don't want people to have to experience this. And I don't want to experience it for any longer than I have to. And I was like, all right, what can I do to choose to be happier? What can I do to get through this? And looking at the research, which I'd already sort of started in this space of starting, I was in a PhD program at Stanford's business school and starting to look at sort of satisfaction and choice satisfaction and thinking about it from a life perspective. So sort of happiness, but I was like, this is a call. Like I need to figure out how can people choose to be happier so that you're not just relying on your natural disposition and personality that when you're subject to circumstances that are not positive, can we make a choice to be happier? And in fact, we can. And looking across the literature and data, the effects, yes, natural disposition has a big effect. Circumstances have an effect, but a significantly smaller one than we predict. But the thing that has a bigger effect than we predict is what we choose to do and think about in our day-to-day has a significant effect on how we feel in our days and how satisfied we feel about our lives. And so I was like, okay, what can I do? And in particular, how can I spend my time? How can I engage in the time that I'm spending so that I can choose to be happier? And like, again, going back to the title, it's not like happy or unhappy. It is what can we do to feel better in our lives and about our lives than we would have otherwise. And we do have agency. We do have choice. And that is what sort of propelled me on my research to figure out how do we do happy? How do we choose happy? That's what I've been doing since. Throughout the winter months, I don't feel like going anywhere. So home workouts are my BFF. Thankfully, I discovered Masa. Masa has a history that spans five decades of inspiring millions of people to move. Masa has hundreds of on-demand workouts and recoveries for everyone, new movers and athletes alike, 300 plus and growing. My podcast listeners get 30 days free on top of a 14-day trial with my very own promo code, Total Mom Sense 30. After 44 days, a subscription is just $9.99 per month. Workouts fit every schedule, whether you have 10, 30, or 60 minutes. And they're actually enjoyable, driven by music and amazing coaching. Masa's video library has workouts like dance, MMA, mind body, HIIT, and cycling. They've got work ins. Their word for recovery is work ins, like the DDESH series, to offset our sedentary lives and 10 minute synergy experiences based in yoga and Pilates. I especially love strength training. These structured workouts improve fitness, a stronger physique, living better, feeling better, which means we're able to run around with our kids or grandkids and build better brain health and a can-do attitude. To learn more, log on to www.masa.net 
And remember, use my promo code TOTALMOMSENSE30 to receive 30% off your subscription. What are you still doing here? Get moving. I want to find out how you discovered your life purpose and if you can share that in a line or two and how we can discover ours. So this is really important because, you know, as we're thinking about how we spend our time, we want to make sure that we're investing ourselves and our hours in ways that help us achieve our purpose, that are in line with those higher order goals. I share an exercise uh, in the book, the five whys exercise to help folks identify their purpose because it sounds really lofty and hard. And it's basically answering, you know, why do you do what you do? And then for your answer to that, why is that important? And then your answer to that, why is that important? You ask yourself five layers of why. And what that does is it uncovers what truly motivates you. Like, what is that goal that you ultimately have? What impact do you want to have? Like, what actually matters? That is so helpful because it's really clarifying of, what to say yes to, and more importantly, what to say no to, because there are endless incoming requests and opportunities. And, and we only have you know, a finite number of hours in our days and amount of energy that we have available. If you know why you're doing it, if you know the impact, the meaning that it has, that is driven by you, it's not some like general sense of like success. And so by understanding what drives you, you can use that as your metric of success. You can use that as your motivator. So when you see there's a discrepancy, that's what drives you. It's like, oh, I want to live into that and be that. And then then when you're doing an activity that might not feel so fun, but you realize why you're doing it and that it is in line with your purpose, then it does feel more fun and worthwhile. Your course at UCLA is called The Science of Happiness and Life Design. And your students are just so enthusiastic about all that they've learned. I mean, it's derived from Lori Santos's Psychology and the Good Life at Yale and Bill Burnett and Dave Evans Designing Your Life course at Stanford. And it's it's something that's so uh, unique and has all these tangible takeaways and allows them to reframe how they're hardwired. So what are some of the takeaways that your students have mentioned um, have changed their lives? And the book very much was motivated and sort of captures the important takeaways of the course. And I, in the book, I give exercises, which are basically the assignments I give my students so that readers can apply and experience the benefits of these insights. Now, I will say that I include all of them because different exercises, different insights resonate differently across people. Part of it is about spending time on activities that matter, on those things that are worthwhile that actually make you feel satisfied. But oftentimes the question is like, well, I don't know what those are. And so what I encourage folks to do is track their time. So in the research, time tracking is like we look over the course of people's days, what they're doing as well as how they're feeling. So we can look on, on average, what are those activities that tend to be associated with the most positive emotion, what are those activities that tend to be associated with the most negative emotion, but that's based off of averages. So what I encourage folks to do, and I have this assignment in the course, as well as instructions in the book, is to, over the course of a week, 
track your time, writing down for each half hour, what are you doing? As well as rating on a 10 point scale, how do you feel coming out of it? And while sort of tedious to do this, it's so powerful because at the end of the week, you have this really wonderful personalized data set. So you can look across your activities and be like, what are those that made me feel best? What were the most satisfying and fulfilling? Also, what are some common dimensions of those activities? So you can really identify sources of satisfaction and fulfillment for you. You can also see just how much time you're spending on your activities. And so oftentimes my students will be like, holy moly, I had no idea that I spent that much time on social media. You think it's like five minutes here and those five minutes inevitably are like a half hour and then turn into an hour. And then those hours add up. But I think even more insightful or illuminating is not just how much time they're spending. And I didn't feel that great because they have their ratings right there. And they're like, I thought social media was like my sort of fun, fun time. That's like me time. But when they see that, they're rating, like it actually makes them feel like a four on a 10 point mm-hmm. skill. Meanwhile, they're so busy that they don't have, you know, quote unquote, have time to spend like meeting up with a friend for dinner or to take the kids to get ice cream after school yeah. that actually in doing them, you're like, oh, they, these are my nines and tens. These are those fulfilling times. And so the time tracking exercise is really helpful to identify opportunities for reallocating your time towards the activities that are more fulfilling. I also wanted to touch on writing a eulogy letter. I I really love this exercise. And I think I think a New York Times article I had come across years ago about how it's important to have a eulogy resume because I think you know, in this culture, um, this capitalist culture that we're in, oftentimes we're chasing after this accolade, that achievement, that award, that promotion, whatever it may be. But at the end of our life, we're not thinking of those um, wins. You're thinking of, you know, how much time did you spend with the people who mattered? Um, And so I wrote mine out and I'd love to share it with you. And then also hear maybe some lines from yours. Tanika was a giver. She gave her time, her heart, and her whole self to those she loved. As an empath, she felt others' pain and joy so viscerally. She was a devoted mother to her three kids, wife, daughter, sister, and friend. She dedicated her life to being a purveyor of stories, whether she was interviewing public figures about their legacy or sharing pearls of wisdom from strangers she'd connect with on the subway. She knew the power of storytelling could break cycles and change lives. Like her mother, she learned to be selfless and follow her dharma. Like her aunt, she was a people person, always connecting others and trying to brighten their day with a kind note or gesture. Like her grandmother, she was meticulous and regimented, connected to the divine, inherently spiritual, and even a little superstitious. She always led with love. That's beautiful. And absolutely is inspiring. It's not only inspiring to us listening, but, you know, with that clarity of what matters to you and the legacy that you want to leave. And it's really about how you want to show up to people today. You know, it's it's a, it's a clear re- reflection of that. 
for yourself. And that is so important. That's actually why I have my students do this assignment. It is writing your eulogy, sort of projecting forward to the end of your life, reflecting back what life do you want to have lived? How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to sort of exist in other people's hearts and minds? And I will say that some of my students, and actually one student who's super conscientious was like, came to me and she's like, I'm sorry, I can't do this assignment. I know that it's tied to a grade, but it just gives me great anxiety to think about my death. And I'm like, let's reframe it. Write about the life you want to live because this is absolutely not about death, it is about life. And it's the life that you want to live. And with that, and we actually find in our research that when people take a broader perspective of time, thinking in terms of years and life, their life overall, as opposed to hour by hour, they report greater meaning in life, greater satisfaction, as well as greater heaviness in their days. And I think that the reason for that, and we have some evidence to suggest is that By taking this broader perspective, by having, you know, like the eulogy exercise is something that is very clarifying of this. It shows what matters to you, what is ultimately important. And so often in our days, we are reacting to and spending our time with respect to what seems urgent as opposed to, or irrespective of its importance. But when you are very clear on what's important, then that will lead you to spend your hours today on those things and protect time for them. You know, we talked earlier about your um, your mom. <laughs> it's like that relationship is important and their kids. It's like understanding what are those ways of engaging with them that really sort of lead you to feel a sense of connection. And it's not all the times and all the activities. And actually the time tracking exercise is really helpful to illuminate. (laughs) What are those times with your kids that actually are really fulfilling and satisfying so that you can protect time for it? And when you're engaging in it, be totally present, not distracted, so Mm -hmm. that you're getting the sort of optimal happiness um, from those hours that are clarified by the life you want to lead. I'd love for you to share, um, you know, the story about the professor. Yeah, I'm glad you asked because this is a super helpful analogy to sort of carry in our minds. Um, And it is about prioritization. And it's nicely shown in a short film that I share in the first day of my class. And in the film, a professor walks into his classroom and on the desk at the front of the class, he puts a large clear jar. And then from a bag on the side, he has golf balls and he pours the golf balls into the jar. So as so he reached the very top and he asks the students, is the jar full? And the students nod their head because yes, the jar looks full, but nope. From the bag, he pulls out pebbles and he pours the pebbles into the jar and they fill the spaces between the golf balls up to the very top. And he asks the students again, is the jar full? And the students nod because yes, the jar looks full, but nope. From the bag, he pulls out sand and he pours the sand into the jar and it fills all those spaces between the golf balls, between the pebbles up to the very top. And he asks the students again, is the jar full? And by this point, the students are like laughing. They're like, yes, the jar (laughs) is full. And then, but there's one more step. He pulls out two bottles of beer. He opens one, pours it into the jar. He opens the other. And then he sort of walks and perches himself at the front of, on the 
front of the desk and he takes a sip and he explains, this jar represents the time of your life. The golf balls are all those things that really matter to you. Your relationships with your family, like your friendships, the work you do that is in line with your purpose and your passions. The pebbles are the other things in your life that matter, like your job, your house. The sand is everything else. The sand is all of that stuff that fills your time without you even thinking about it. Maybe it is social media. Maybe it is binge watching TV. Maybe it is all those committees or requests that you said yes to just because it was easier to say yes than no, whatever it is. But what's really important to know is had he put the sand into the jar first, all of the golf balls would not have fit. If we let our time get filled, it absolutely will get filled, but not necessarily with the stuff that matters. And in fact, it won't even leave time for all of those golf balls. You won't have enough time for those things that really matter to you. So it's so important to identify what are your golf balls? What are those things that matter to you? And that gets clarified in like the eulogy exercise. It gets clarified in time tracking. Put those into your schedule first. Like protect time like in your calendar for these things because Sand will fill the rest. Absolutely, it will. But at least at the end of the week, you'll be able to look back, even if busy, you'll be able to look back and feel fulfilled and satisfied because you have invested in what matters, in those relationships, in that work that you ultimately care about. And then one of the students was like, well, professor, what's the deal with the beer? And he's like, I'm so glad you asked. That goes to show that no matter how busy you feel how full your time and schedule seems. You always have time for a drink with a friend. Oh. <laughs> I think it's also an important lesson that these, there are these things that matter that we do ultimately have time for and we need to make the time for. Tell us a little bit about your motherhood journey. I mean, I am so in love with my two kids. <laughs> Lita, who is now seven, and Leo, who is 10. and But the journey is a tough one. And uh, particularly because of what we've talked about already of like the role of time poverty. Like I had Leo when I was still an assistant professor. So working really hard to get tenure. And I actually opened the book sharing this, this experience where I was still on the faculty at Wharton, an assistant professor. I had traveled up to give a talk in New York, and it was just such a crazy, you know, harried day. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, between yeah. wanting to be connected and a good parent and then the work and partner and friends and all that sort of stuff. It's like, I don't think I can do this. And I considered quitting. And so I didn't quit. Instead, I redirected my research to figure out how do we invest our hours so that we do feel satisfaction, so that we're not rushing through these moments with these people that we love. And I am so grateful that I didn't quit and I stuck with it. And it wasn't at the cost of my relationships with my family because I'm very purposeful and I share in the book some ways that I spend, like my weekly coffee date with Lita is this routine that we turned into a ritual and it's so special. It's each week 
we protect this time and it's, we have our coffee date playlist and we, you know, order the same thing. And it is time where it's just the two of us to sort of soak each other up and be together. And while I can't be in the carpool pickup line at three any day um, because of my work, I am absolutely connected and we have this wonderful relationship. And I would actually say one of my proudest moments in this whole book experience was when the box of the actual books arrived and I went and to give Lita a kiss goodnight after uh, she was asleep. And I saw that she had the book on the pillow next to her. And what it made me so proud is that she's proud. So I stuck with the work. And so they, they are proud of the work that I do, but also it wasn't at the cost of our relationship. And so that is something that I am so proud of that we can, if we are intentional, if we are thoughtful, if we prioritize the golf balls, including the work that's important to us, and we protect ourselves from the sand, there's absolutely, you know, things that I am not doing and failing at, like my inbox is just a mess and will never, I will never get through it. And I won't respond to some people and I feel badly about that. But otherwise, if I don't protect the time for, you know, my coffee dates, the work that like will actually make progress on what my purpose and with my husband, you know, and, and uh, Leo, all to say it's, it's been, it's been a ride, but I live the research findings. I live what I am advising folks to do in the book. And I am absolutely satisfied and feel connected with my kids and my family. Tell us about a mom sense moment you had. And by that, I mean a time that you trusted your intuition when it came to being a parent. I think it is the intuition of having fun. And and that's actually, it's like going back to my childhood and my sort of joy and that it's okay. It's sort of giving myself the permission to be silly with the kids. That's sort of following myself and my gut as when I'm with the kids, as opposed to like this sort of general notion of what I should be doing. I love that. I love that. I think that's so important. Um, And where can my listeners find you and your first book? My website, CassieMHolmes.com. I am on LinkedIn, but I'm not really on social media otherwise, um, because I have identified through my time tracking that social media is not a source of happiness for me. But on my website, and honestly, I I am excited about the book because it really sort of pulls so much of these learnings together so that folks can dig in and apply it and hopefully feel happier in their hours and more satisfied in their lives. Thank you, Cassie. Thanks for enlightening us with your story, with your uh, strategies and philosophy. I'm sure all parents who are listening are just breathing a sigh of relief because you've now made us time rich and giving agency to us over our happiness and leading a meaningful life. Thanks so much for having me. This was super fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Cassie Holmes. Definitely go check out her book, Happier Hour. It's available on all booksellers and on audiobook. 
I feel like it was really life-changing for me because I did do the time tracking and eulogy letter and practice her five senses exercise with my kids all the time. Tune into other episodes of That's Total Mom Sense wherever you get your podcasts and on my website, thatstotalmomsense.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It helps a ton with the algorithms. And you can do that by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com forward slash iTunes for a quick guide. You can follow me on Instagram where I'm most active at Kanika Chadda Gupta. And that's where I release all the info around my distinguished guests and upcoming episodes, polls, questions, comments, all of that. So I'd love to have you on there and engage with you. And you can write to me at thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com. Remember, always trust your mom sense and dad sense. Stay strong, super parents. I'll see you soon. That's total mom sense.